Hey there, howdy. Thanks for coming in and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I am Jay West Texas Leeson. We're broadcasting from the West Texas Accessory Depot Studios. Go see the folks at Accessory Depot on 82nd and Valencia in Lubbock. Other side listeners can get a free row of WeatherTech liners. Whether or not you're listening on air in Lubbock, if you're listening to this as a podcast, or you're up on SoundCloud or anywhere else that we are, if you want a free set of WeatherTech liners, just purchase a bed cover with Accessory Depot. Check them out, WTAccessoryDepot.com. That's WTAccessoryDepot.com, 806-866-9494. Lots to get into today. We're going to have the former Speaker of the House, but you always call him the Speaker. He is Speaker Pete Laney in studio with us. Lots to discuss with him, his perspective on what's going on today. No one better than the pride of Hill Center, Texas, to talk with us about that. But when the kickoff today, wild thing went down in Lubbock this morning. Of all places, in Lubbock, Texas, uh, we have, of course, the Republican Party of Texas had the chairman, James Dickey, nominated by this uh, state Republican Executive Committee, which is like 30 people who, and I mean this when in the, in the loving sense, really dork out on politics in Texas, and they come together, and, and we had the Speaker, Tom Meckler, or excuse me, the ch- former chairman, Tom Meckler, step down. Now, hold on, just take a deep breath, because we're going to get in some party politics here, and I want to take you, even if you don't pay much attention to politics, I'm going to try to walk you through this, all right? So, deep breaths, one, two, three. So, Tom Meckler from Amarillo was the Republican Party uh, of Texas chair, and then he stepped down. So they called a special election, and this state Republican Executive Committee got together, and they nominated James Dickey to be the chairman. Now, there's not been, nobody's been quote-unquote elected. That happened in June 17, Dickey's nomination and his appointment. Now there is somebody who wants to run against him. And her, her name is Cindy Ash. A-S-C-H-E. Cindy Ash was in town this morning. I happened to pop in, see what she had to say, and she had a whole lot to say. She started off a talk this, and this impacts all of, all of Texas. She started off her address to this gathering, I bet about 40 people at Red Zone in Lubbock, um, she started off her address about how integrity is important in the Republican Party and then went on with a theme that integrity is sadly lacking in our current leadership, which, of course, is, said James Dickey. She went into a discussion about some events that happened with James Dickey back in 2004, that he was charged by the Federal Securities and Exchange Commission with classic hedge fund uh, fraud. And I won't say any more about her or what she said. I'll let you hear for yourself. This is an excerpt. The full, her full address is there at the other side of Texas. But for the time being, I want to play you this audio. Personally, 
and as the leader of our party and have integrity that is above reproach. Unfortunately, our present chairman has failed to live up to those essential standards. He has a record. In 2004, James Dickey was charged by the Federal Securities and Exchange Commission with classic hedge fund fraud in violation of multiple federal statutes. The SEC original complaint described repeated and knowing false and fraudulent misrepresentations made by Dickey and his partner about the value of hedge fund investments being sold to investors. The defrauded investors lost tens of millions of dollars. We calculated over $63 million. These are high-level uh, high investors, including the Art Institute of Chicago. They are not mom-and-pop folks that are easily defrauded. This is the part that kills me. When the losses came to light, the investors were told that they were partly a result of events surrounding the World Trade Center tragedy on September 11, 2001. Instead of being accountable and taking responsibility for these actions, uh, I apologize, I missed the line. This was another knowing and blatant fraudulent misrepresentation to the investors. Instead of being accountable and taking responsibility for his actions, he tried to hide behind one of our nation's most devastating and darkest days. This was another demonstration of a complete lack of integrity. During the SEC investigation, Dickey refused to admit even undisputed facts. Instead, he invoked the Fifth Amendment so many times that the SEC requested that the court draw an inference of guilt from having done so. To avoid trial, on January 11, 2006, Dickey agreed he would never dispute the allegations in the original complaint, consented to a final, agree final judgment sought by the SEC, and agreed to pay a penalty of $35,000 instead of the total $224,000, which he could have been required to pay, but probably swore he couldn't pay. Subsequently, his partner underwent a three-week jury trial and was found guilty of knowingly and intentionally defrauding multiple investors and assessed huge penalties. I wish I could say this was an, honest, uh, an isolated incident. Unfortunately, this is a reflection of a pattern of dishonesty. And I've already told you about what happened on the night before he was elected and immediately firing the officers that he replaced. A leader who's willing to deceive for personal gain or political expediency is not a leader who believes or practices Republican values. I believe that in my heart of hearts. <coughs> the people of our party deserve a chairman whose life has demonstrated honesty and integrity. The donors who are investors to our party deserve a chairman that they can trust to manage their funds honestly and effectively. So that's Cindy Ash, again, that whole audio. 
we just played for you about three or four minutes there, but the entire audio is up at OthersideOfTexas.com. Now, some questions there. Now, Cindy Ash, before she got into the statement that she was reading, and then she goes on to have some comments that are pretty interesting afterwards. Uh, some questions here that there were groups that she says were not easily defrauded in like the institute of art in chicago well how was the srec defrauded like what happened there like nobody could she goes on and says that her friend who was a former news anchor in dallas took five minutes and googled james dickey Nobody in the room took five minutes to Google James Dickey. Like, this is not Abraham Lincoln coming out of nowhere. Like, this guy was there. You had a vote, and obviously it was a process. He knew that he could very well be elected because he pledged to not get rid of any of the officers, which he then went on and did. And I'm just taking that on her terms. I was not in the room, obviously. Um and to be quite honest, it was a little bit uncomfortable being in that room. But that's all their conversation. They were good. No, it was it was it was a good time this morning. But you could hear the the breakfast dishes clanging with one another. But how was if this is such a big deal? And I tend to think that it is for the very per- point that she made. She was a very good politician in that she laid out that the Republican Party of Texas is in fiscal problem has has some financial vulnerabilities and then they elected a man to be president who's got an sec record and by her account dickey in 2006 uh, 2006 january 2006 agreed that he would never dispute the allegations in the original complaint that she was citing and consented to the final judgment and agreed to pay a penalty of $35,000. So it'll be interesting to see if Dickey even disputes what she has to say. And she doesn't dispute how what he has to say. You're going to have a guy running a major party in Texas, one of two major parties. In, well, there is a major party in Texas, then there's another party, and then there are the federal courts that is the real opposition. And Pete Laney's in the room now. No offense. But uh, you're going to have this guy. I mean, this guy's running the show. And I think that she does cite a problem in that. But uh, to say that 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 people were defrauded, people who are not easily defrauded. I know a lot of Republicans in Texas, and they are most of the time not easily defrauded. But it seems like if she's right in everything that she laid out, maybe they have been. So we have something to look forward to this summer. But also, I should say. That of the Republicans in the room during the question and answer period, just by my own observation, James Dickey's not done much to help himself on a lot of the other uh, fronts. Uh, there were people in that room who are like hardcore Lubbock County Republicans uh, who took real exception to Dickey and his leadership. So it'll be interesting. I see today he sent out a press release that he wants to have a faith and family opening kickoff. And I wonder how many times he's going to get asked the questions that she raised and whether or not he's willing to engage them. Because that will set the stage for the 86th legislature because Dickey put a lot of pressure on a lot of guys in 85th. If he wins, then they're going to question how strong he is. They may think that he's vulnerable. 
uh, if he loses, then they may be, I speak from the house perspective, hearing from those guys pretty consistently, eh, they may not be sad to admit, to see James Dickey fall by the wayside. So that's that's a little opener. We're getting into Pete Laney. Later on, we'll get into more transportation. I raised some questions yesterday about rural transportation, rural folks underwriting urban transportation. Get into that as well. And he is. Texas Republican Party Chairman James Dickey. I do miss me some James Dickey. Go Will Flemings. And those of you who are sitting right where you are, it's probably because you know that former Speaker of the House, pride of Hill Center, Texas, James E. quote-unquote Pete Laney. Pete Laney in studio with us. Served from 73 to 2007. I hear all the time Pete Laney I don't know what I am today. I am whatever Pete is. What are you today, Pete Laney? Well, I'm a voter. <laughs> Anything else? That'll do for right now. But people will say that, well, there are a couple of, there are more than a few remarkable things, but I'll say that two are these. One, in a lot of people's minds, you were the last conservative Democrat. I'll hear that about you and Charlie Sinholm. They were the last conservative Democrats. And two, and I would put this at one, you were the last guy who went out on his own terms. You stepped down from, so 73, 2007, but you stepped down from Speaker in what year? 2003. Which means that you won two more elections with the shifting map, right? Right. So in... How many counties do you think they tried to get Pete Laney with, the guys who are drawing the counties for you to be elected? How many times did they shift the counties? Well, at least twice. And uh, uh, the first time uh, was uh, when they took away every county but my home county and gave me all gave me about 15 new counties. What, when was that? In uh, 2003. Okay. So then in 2005, they shifted it again? Well, they changed it up a little bit. Yeah. But not much. But, so but, but of, they, the thir- they, of the new 13 that they gave you, how many of those stayed the same in 2005? I'd have to go back and look. I, I, I've slept too many times since then, and I, I didn't really pay attention because you don't look at the counties, you look at the people. Yeah. So, a lot of people will look back, of course, you were Speaker five consecutive terms. Correct. And then Tom Craddock came in the Speakership. And I've heard from a lot of people who have some retrospective there and how difficult that was. Because even today, Pete Laney, whenever your name comes up, and I don't think they're just keeping pretenses because I've known you my whole life, but I think that... I think that there's a genuine regard with how you ran the house and the members vote your district motto. Every every time you took down the gavel, took a vote, members vote your district. Today, we're not doing that. How, for those who are interested, for those lawmakers who are listening right now, how would Pete Laney bring us back to a place where members vote your district? Well, the the problem is you got you got too many individuals now that they run on the issues of party rather than 
their constituents that elect them. And they put more priority in in things other than what's good for their district. Why, though? Uh, because they were recruited to run against somebody, most likely, uh, to uh, uh, to cause as much havoc as they can. And regardless of whether they were right or wrong, uh, they have to. They've got a criteria they've got to follow. So their constituency is deep pockets. Was particular well, groups. deep pockets are philosophical viewpoints that doesn't necessarily reflect the the district they represent. And that's why I was always somebody that asked members, even if I disagreed with them, you know, I encouraged them to vote for their district because that's the only voice that district has got. Uh, you got, at the time I was first elected, I represented about 75,000 people. When I went out of office, I represented 175,000 because of the population growth in Texas. And and uh, uh, the way the redistricting was, was uh, shared. But uh, the, you've, got a, you've got to... Uh, I mean, you're you're their only voice. You're you're their, your constituents' only voice uh, in the in the legislative process. And if you uh, nothing derogatory about the big urban centers, but if you throw your vote to somebody for to benefit Harris County, it's your detriment for pure political purposes. That's not that's not what the people elected you for. They elected you to try to get as much. Uh, influence in your legislative district as as you could, and that meant uh, working with the people in Harris County. There's more people in more members of legislature from Harris County than there is from Fort Worth West. So West, like all the way through here, all the way through here, yeah, counting yeah. Fort, Fort Worth. <laughs> hmm. So Pete Lane, let me ask you this: uh, You don't have a Twitter account? No. Are you on Facebook? Nope. Like on purpose? Yep. You just don't want to mess with it. Well, do you have a do you have a smartphone? Well, yeah, but I have to get my grandkids to keep it updated for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you heard that last the monologue where I talked about the Republican Party of Texas. A lot of the feedback, the negative feedback that I get on on James Dickey, not the basketball coach, <laughs> but the current. Uh, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas is that he forces in you know I've heard of a couple of different meetings with the Republican caucus where in the last legislature where Dickey really dug in and said we expect you to stick to platform two questions there is the Republican platform 100% down the line or the Democrat let's say the Democratic platform is it 100% down the line conducive to any one district? No, no. It, it's it's all, all platforms should be all-encompassing. And, you know, if, uh, if, if, the, if, that, if that platform was, on either party, was perfect, you wouldn't have any problems. But it's not because people have different ideas. The, the geographical... Uh, the geographical makeup of Texas uh, dictates a lot of different things. Uh, there's a lot of things going on right now in Washington 
uh, that uh, that's affecting the agriculture industry to the detriment. Uh, the, some of the, the negotiations with China, for instance, You're talking about trade wars, trade and wars, and stuff like and tariffs, tariffs, and uh, so you you can't say that everything's going to be right. But that's right. not in the Republican platform. I mean, a lot of people think that Trump's playing off script right now. That this is well, not Republicanism. Usually, but I did a show earlier. I think on Monday, you can go back and listen on the podcast. But I said this is an upside downside. America that we're living in right now because typically, and I hope you won't take offense to this, but typically it's Democrats have never said America first, but we're out for the common man, we're out for the middle class in America, unions, etc. But now Trump is, it seems to a lot of people that Trump's taking a, a page out of the Democratic playbook with these. Well, these wars that could turn into trade wars. Well, and, and could the uh, but uh, there was a, a an old philosopher from Oklahoma that once said uh, he didn't belong to any organized party. That he was a Democrat, and and his name was what <laughs> Will Rogers. That's right. And uh-huh. uh, but but that. Uh, this this organi- this organization is probably uh, the the best organization of any statewide or national Demo- national Democrat or Republican party because you have so different many philosophies because of the different geographical areas because of different philosophies of communities of the different ethnic makeup of communities you have all kinds of different uh, ideas about what's What's perfect, and uh, and you know if uh, if everybody agreed with me, everybody'd be perfect. So yeah, <laughs> that to say, Pete Laney, if if a major party chairman, a Democratic chairman, within especially within your speaker tenure, came to you and said, uh, Pete, you're way off line here. You need to get in line. Was that ever a political reality while you were in office that uh, that a major party chairman had that kind of clout? Or did you just kind of blow them off like a lobbyist? No, you don't blow them off, but you you tell them how how you're running. They know how you're running the house, or, or the senate, or whatever your your political office is. And uh, the, the the ones that that were good and and involved, they came and said their piece and said, "Here's what we'd like to do, and here's what the the party the parties." Uh, ideas about what we're doing is uh, and can you help us well I'd most likely send them to the committee chairman and say go sell your point to the committee chairman Mm. and I had half my committee chairman were Republicans Uh, and or not quite half of them because we have about almost half and, but uh, there's a difference between can you help us and you will help us. Yeah, yeah, and because which just seems to be the field today. Because, yeah, well, and and being speaker of the house, you still got a district to represent, and then you represent all 150, 149 house members. Two constituencies. So you got two, you got two constituencies to represent. When when you have to do that, you 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 make no bones about where you feel as an individual or for your district. But, like I said many times on the House floor, members vote your district. 
because you're the only voice they've got. So, Pete Laney, this is what I'd also say. we got about a minute, two minutes before we go into break, but this might be a dynamite question, and you can answer it, and then we can carry back over over the break. But to the, to the extent that Will Rogers was right, that the Democratic Party could be disorganized, I would bet good money that you could not be elected in the Democratic Party today, that you were too conservative for the Democratic Party 2018 in Texas. Well, I don't. I I, I, dis, I disagree with that. Uh, I think that uh, that most of the people that the the Democratic Party um, uh, hierarchy is one thing. I mean, you're you're going to see what happens in 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 the, in the runoff race for governor and to see see which who runs a better chance Lupe Valdez of winning of winning the general Lupe Valdez Andrew White oh I, I I'm, I'm not I don't predict anything anymore okay. though, but uh, uh, it's it's going to be real it's going to be real telling about the makeup of the of the of the Democratic Party in that race yeah. with the results of that race and to me if it's Valdez, then you can't be as disorganized as Will Rogers would like. If it's White, then yeah, there's a broader spectrum. Well, yeah, yeah there is a broader spectrum, but uh, the there's probably uh, more activism of the active party, the real active party people. Uh, in the Valdez camp, and the and there's more of the uh, I want to be involved type in the white campaign, mm-hmm. Hmm. and uh, I'm the, the you may have more of the ones in the Valdez campaign that that it's our way or the highway is like you do in one one side of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. They'd rather be. They'd rather lose than get half the pie. Hmm. Sitting here right now with former Speaker of the House Pete Laney, but you'll always be called Speaker of the House. People still come to you say, "Miss Speaker." Well, my, my kids don't. <laughs> but but I have walked around the Capitol with you, and I will say this: whenever you walk with Pete Laney through the Capitol. Everybody's having their conversations, backs are turned, and it's like, I'm not flattering you, Pete, because you and I run each other down off air all the time, <laughs> but there's a hush, and everyone turns around. What is it? I mean, even now, 2018, I mean, you're more than a decade removed from that house, and even this weekend, the, I, I really believe I made it a thing. I brought back members vote your district. It, with me and a few other people together but that's a common call you see that all the time on twitter if if we had somebody else in the studio right now i'd say hey look up on twitter members vote your district it gets cited a lot but it always gets cited back to you what's that kind of reverence for your leadership still mean right now 2018 well it, the, the the longer you're out of office the better your reputation gets <laughs> because people I don't you don't even need me to run you down <laughs> the, you do it yourself the, the 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 bad parts of of your tenure uh get put on the back burner and 
and some of the positive things we were able to accomplish. And but but I didn't accomplish it. We accomplished them. Uh, the members of the legislature. I had a really really strong team that we worked for what was good for Texas, and uh, some of the members had to vote uh, some that might not be. The, the most positive things for their district, but they got part of what they needed for their district, and it was good for the state of Texas and good for the taxpayers of Texas. And uh, we went 10 years without ever having to have a special session because we took care of business. But we had some real strong individuals. 10 years, a whole decade without special sessions. No special sessions. Is that the thing you're most proud of? Well, that's one of them. <laughs> so I get called this to build off of members vote your district. I always say that I'm a purveyor of and a proponent of politics place. That you vote your place, your district. That's right. And, but the feedback you'll get sometimes, in more, yeah, pretty often, that feedback's negative. That you're just promoting regionalism. That that it's just going to be a fight of regionalism. But my feedback to that, my pushback is, well, if if Jeff Leach, out of Plano is on a member's vote your district train and so is somebody out of west texas then that's you it just implies compromise that we're going to find a way to make that's right make, but get, you may not get the whole pie but you'll get a piece of it and for for your district and, and where did you get that line from probably from my grandmother <laughs> but was she in politics or you just no. found a way to articulate no, it in she, a new way uh uh I just found a way to articulate it that 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 you uh, uh, well I'll give you a, a, a for instance uh, I had a bill one time that uh, I couldn't even get out of committee I got it voted down in committee mm-hmm. the next session I passed the same bill on the floor of the house without a dissenting vote mm-hmm. exactly the same bill well that uh, uh, it's because times changed uh and maybe I did a little better job of articulating uh, what what the issues were, or something happened to show that we needed that piece of legislation uh, on a statewide basis. So that, uh, uh, but but you've got a you've got a situation that 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 if you vote your district, well I'll give you an example. Uh, when I when I uh, first was running for office. I, a, a gentleman here in Lubbock uh, helped me a lot, advised me. Uh, my first bill that I ever got to vote on in 1973 that was very, very controversial, I was concerned about it. And so before we before we voted, I, I asked, uh, uh, I, I called this individual, and I said, why, what, what, what do you think about it? He said, uh, I elected you to go there and make your best decision on the information you have because you have more information than I've got on the issue. Now, I may disagree with you, but if you can explain your vote to me, we'll never be cross. And that's the way a lot of people are. If you can explain why you vote, even if they disagree with your philosophy, or if you can explain why you did something, most people are okay with it. Now there's going to be some that are going to be it it would make would not make any difference what kind of excuse you had for voting uh, if you didn't vote the way they want you to vote. So 
Pete Laney, former Speaker of the House, joining us here, other side of Texas. You talk about your tenure, Pete, and sorry, Mr. Speaker, <laughs> we're on the radio. Mr. Speaker, you talk about your tenure. Talk to us about you deciding that you were going to run for Speaker and what that process was like. Well, the the main thing is that that you've got to communicate with every member of the house because every member of the house has a vote. There's a hundred Republicans and Democrats. Republicans and Democrats, and there's a hundred and fifty House members. the The last speaker was elected. I was there twenty years when I was elected speaker. Uh, the speaker, the present speaker, was there. Four. Four years yeah. when he was elected. Uh, and he was elected in a bipartisan manner. Speaker uh, Joe Strauss. Speaker Joe Strauss. Uh, he, he he got accused of not being enough Republican, but his mother was, a, and, and, he, and he were Republicans in San Antonio before there were any Republicans in San Antonio. So it's not that that he that he he didn't have credentials because he worked he no. worked in Washington. But you talk to everybody, and then how does that process begin to play out? Well, first of all, you you go tell people that you'd like to have their support, and you just go say if you can support me, I'd appreciate it. And that that's uh, you don't promise them anything. You, you don't. No, definitely not. You can't have any. You can't have any kind want. of not a you don't not say a thing anything like that. And. Uh, you uh, you put together then you put together a team of those eight or ten that you first talked to that agree with your you being speaker, and then you put them on the road this with you or work, working other members. Uh, I spent a I spent a lot of time in the air and wore out an airplane, uh, going all over the state of Texas, and was in everybody's district at least two or three times. Because you're a pilot, yeah, yeah, and and was it was in in people's districts and went to functions where they were, even ones that I knew wasn't going to support me, uh, and uh, but uh, I uh, uh, I worked hard at it and put together a team that uh, uh, and then at at a point in time I when I had the seventy six votes, well I. Told all my opponents that I had the seventy-six, and did they want to be? And all but one of them did. How long was that process? Oh, it's probably six months. Six months. Or, or how, well, how, it was actually probably uh, yeah, at least, yeah, it was probably at least six months. So the full process. When did you have seventy-six? Oh, I can't remember the day we announced it, but it was. Would you say it was like? Halfway through or three quarters? Oh no, through? it was three quarter way through. Okay, yeah. It, so, how vital is it to coalesce that support early on? Well, as much as much you try to get as much support as you can as quick as you can, because first of all, you never know who is going to be there because it's it's a lot of it's going to happen before the some of it happened before the primary, uh, some of it's going to happen a lot of it's going to happen before the general election. Mm-hmm. And and you really don't know who's going to. So you you got to work both sides. Yeah. Because you don't know who's going to be there. You don't know who's going to be there. Yeah, and I think that there are 
five to ten seats that people expect Democrats to turn. Well, or, it, or there'll, there'll, there'll be some changes. Yeah. And and but you you've got to you've got to take that into consideration. Uh, now, if you've been there a while, you're not you're going you're not going to support a opposition to a sitting member. I mean, you, you're 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 not going to get involved in their campaign. vocally. Vocally, yeah. You're you're not going to get involved in their campaign. Uh, uh, you're going to say nice things about the people that are, that are nice to you. Yeah, but. but you know what does not make a sound, Pete? Hardly a sound, other than the groan afterwards, is a knife penetrating open flesh. And I say that to say, I was in Nacogdoches last week at a big event with. Senator Robert Nichols and Representative Travis Clardy and it was a who's who a lot of people came down 30 house members, handful of senators and the governor came down and we all knew those of us who were there with them that odds are like 90% the next speaker of the house is in this room right now will there be knife fighting in that crowd? Well we we, we in, the, in the race I ran we didn't say anything bad about our opponents. Now, some of them may have said something bad about me, but I didn't catch it if they did. We just talked about how positive we were in our campaign. And we did the same thing when we were trying to help somebody get elected. We didn't say anything bad about their but opponents. But you guys all had bulldogs who might go Well, might go after somebody. Not really. Okay. Uh, that, that, that That's relatively new because... Uh, because of the of the party politics involved, and the consultants and the, the PACs and the PACs. Well, the, well, not necessarily the PACs as much as the consultants that oh. run the PACs. Uh, How many it, tiers above prostitution is a consultant? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that, but <laughs> but no, but I've heard but, you talk enough a lot that you would say that a major change in politics is the consultant. Well, sure. Uh, from your I, from I, seventy-three I, to now, there, there's consultants that charge for a house race fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, and the first first my first race that I ran was against a, a, a individual turned out to be a good friend, but uh, was against an eight-year incumbent, and I spent less than seven thousand uh, dollars. Whenever and, you and you nor Delwin, whenever you got pitted together in the same district, Delwin Jones. Mm-hmm. No consultants involved there. No, because a consultant well, would have said, "Don't ever ride to events with your opponent." Well, that's which right. Is what you and Delwin Jones did. Right. Well, and and uh, consultants sit in an office in Austin, Texas, or in Dallas, Texas, or somewhere, and tell you how to run your district, run run a race in your district, and uh, you know the the person that helped me. The most in my race was a guy I went to college with that happened to be the uh, news editor of the Plainview Daily Herald, and because he said something nice about me in one of his columns, in his in his editorial column, uh, they took his column out of the newspaper <laughs> because he said he was being too partial. But he he you know he advised me about uh, and and wrote a lot of my press releases and stuff, but he did it as a friend. And uh, we graduated from high school, and his name was Mike Wall, uh, a great individual and a, and a real good friend. Let's segue over as we have Pete Laney in with us here on the other side of Texas. 
whenever I ask people over the last couple of days, what would you ask Pete and Laney about? Um, there are people who watch today the School for Dance Commission spend a whole day trying to find a way to tax somebody to pay for schools. And you've seen these kind of blue ribbon campaigns before. But what to you, with your experience with public education, with different people that you've worked with, what's the answer right now? Because what I try to tell people on this program is the same thing that Ross Ramsey says. There are people on both sides of the spectrum, down the middle of the spectrum, who say, look, the reason your appraisals are going up and the rate is going the same as it was is not creep. If it's creep, it's because of the creeps in Austin who are not putting as much money into public education as they should. So 55 cents to 60 cents of every one year property tax dollars are now going to public education. Everybody's up in arms about this. What is the Pete Laney solution to public education today? Well, funding public, public pu- education. Public education is is by far the most one of the, one of the, that and healthcare are two most important things that that the state's got to deal with and and the most probably the most expensive but the the thing about it is that you've got a you've got a society a genera- generations and generations that have made Texas great because of public education uh back when uh before we had a good public education system about the turn of the century the other century the century before <laughs> this one <laughs> and uh, uh that before we had a public education system uh Everybody, what little education they got was at somebody's in somebody's lap, uh, and then even when they had a public school system, the uh, eighth grade was about as far as anybody went. And uh, uh, now you've got you've got people that uh, uh, that have got get an education and become good tax paying citizens. And uh, uh, the uh, the public school system is what's made this country great, and you've got individuals that, uh, uh, when I was in school, a, a lot of your uh, teachers uh, were not the, were uh, individuals that there was two fat two income families, and they were teaching because they loved kids and they loved teaching and they loved issues. Now you've got individuals that uh, especially single single family single individuals that that's their total income and it's uh, uh, not necessarily a, a very uh, lucrative education of uh, I mean luc- lucrative income for the education in the education system and so uh, uh, you expect uh, people to not uh, complain about not getting paid very much to shape the lives of your kids yeah and so there's some some virtue there that is part of the paycheck but so far as funding public education what should they do well first of all because of the makeup of texas the the biggest part of public education should come from the state on a statewide basis and, and distributed uh, because uh, there's so much difference in in local taxes 
uh, number of students, etc. When I take take the Friendship Independent School District, for instance, when I was in high school, it was in the same class as Hale Center. Lubbock Friendship. Lubbock Friendship, the same class as Hale Center. Now it's the only 6A school in Lubbock, Texas. Mm -hmm. That that takes a lot of money to run a school like that. It Mm -hmm. takes a lot of money to run a school like Hale Center per student. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm just thinking about Bob Bullock, I think right before his last term, well, within his last two terms, he floated the idea of an income tax. He saw the writing on the wall and said, you know, maybe we need to kick in an income tax here because he could see where things were hurt, were headed. And once he got the feedback from the words income tax, he never mentioned them again, nor did he put an R or D by his name. Oh, uh, he did more than that. He, he got somebody to enter a bill that said that you can't have an income tax in texas without a vote of the people <laughs> that was that was the correction that was his correction no yeah that uh, he he completely reversed his his philosophy on that uh and uh but what has happened over the years because education is one of the prime things that take the tax state tax dollars uh to be able to go home and say uh, I didn't vote to raise your taxes and increasing yeah. the number of students to educate meant that the local people would have to pick up more money. Yeah. Well, uh, as as you can see, some of the things that have happened in in Austin right now, uh, they don't want anybody in Austin telling them, I mean in Washington telling them what to do, but but they want to tell the local people what yeah. to do. A couple of minutes here before we close out with you. i got two questions left. The governor the lieutenant governor and the speaker the big three eat with each other and throughout the session that goes you know january through may every other year they sit down for breakfast once a month if you were speaker of the house right now pete laney and and dan patrick came in and said we're going to have appraisal caps and we're going to pursue whatever social issue and leverage it to get vouchers or whatever what would that conversation be like between Pete Laney and Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott? What would you say to the it, lieutenant governor? It wouldn't probably last it very long. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, see that's the difference in in what they're doing now. Uh, governor Bullock and and Governor Bush and I had breakfast every Wednesday morning, uh-huh. and when we were all in town, uh, and uh, uh, all. For, for 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 six years that that Bullock was that Bush was governor and and uh, uh, that uh, and four years of that Bullock was lieutenant governor and uh, uh, but uh, we sat down and we solved the problems that we could solve between the three three different bodies. Now we didn't always agree, and uh, we uh, uh, but we negotiated. So this is my last question to you. We'll cut off. We've got about a minute left. We're going to go to break, come back in, and close the program. Uh, tell me, what does the word conservative mean today in your mind? When somebody, when you hear that word conservative, what did it mean to you, and does it still mean the same thing? 
Well, always conservative was was had to do with physical money. Yeah, and uh, uh, it uh, that that was the the thing about it. It, but it then it's developed into now uh, social issues. Uh, the the uh, uh, I don't think anyone ever did not want to take care of the poor and the lame and the afflicted and all that until it became a uh, uh, a liberal idea. Hmm. And uh, I think it, that uh, uh, the, there's some of the individuals have taken advantage of certain situations both on both ends. Hmm. So tell them what you're doing today. People say, "What's Pete Laney up to?" Well, I'm still farming a little bit, <laughs> and uh, uh, taking care of grand, helping helping the parents raise the grandkids. Uh, going to football, going to football games, going to baseball games, fixing to start soccer, uh, and uh, whatever else that they asked me to. I had to go to Austin to go to a presentation. Uh, a granddaughter the other day so it's you know I I uh, try to uh, help parents out in raising their kids yeah that's that's now your new <laughs> that's your my new service and, in and, Texas uh, and, and what are you what do they call you Big Pete Big Pete because I've got a son named Pete so yeah. they call me yeah. Big, Pete. Big Pete and it you know it's uh, before my wife just was just, uh, passed away we agreed that we wasn't going to spoil our grandkids we wasn't going to give me anything they didn't want. <laughs> Pete Laney, thank you for t- coming in with us. You bet. Always a pleasure. Uh, listen, if you give two snickle fritzes about your beer in Texas and you wonder why can't I find that craft beer at more places, there's a reason. It's legislation that was passed in the last legislature and we have tomorrow Brock Wagner, and he heads up St. Arnold's Brewing Company. And he's going to come on the show. You're going to hear from him, and he's going to talk about some legislation. They call it an extortion tax. They have to pay an extortion tax, and they're, they're upset about it, and they've come to the right place with some prairie populism here on the other side of Texas. And they will be with... Brock Wagner and St. Arnold's Brewing come to be with myself and my Friday co-host. I'm ready to have them in. Brandon Darby of Breitbart, Texas. Uh, great show coming up for you tomorrow. So, for now, gotta go. Gotta go home. Gotta get home. Would stay longer, but have a, a pretty good meal and a great family waiting for me. And then until next time, thanks for hanging around. The Other Side of Texas, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. You find all this up on OtherSideOfTexas.com. We'll see you tomorrow right here on AM580 Lubbock. I met a Jinsaw Barra Queen in Memphis.